Welcome to the Married People Podcast, where we help you make marriage real, fun, and simple. Each week, we have honest conversations about one simple thing that can make your marriage better. Because when your marriage is better, everything's better. I'm CJ, and I'm excited because this week we're talking about how our marriages can influence the next generation. Now, if you're like me, the next generation isn't necessarily something that comes to mind when you think about your marriage. But the truth is, our marriages are impacting the next generation, whether we like it or not. And that's why this week, we're really excited to be talking to Virginia Ward. Virginia is the Director of Leadership at the Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Boston, and also leads their mentored ministry initiatives. On top of that, she's also a pastor at Abundant Life Church in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where her husband, Lawrence Ward, is the lead pastor. Together, they also lead a consultant company, Wards of Wisdom, to support urban ministries seeking change. So I know that was a mouthful. That was a lot to get your head around. But needless to say, Virginia and her husband have a lot of influence on the next generation. So when this topic came up about influencing the next generation with our marriages, who better to talk to? That's why we're so excited to be sitting down with Virginia today. Now, my co-host, Ted Lowe, recently had a chance to sit down with Virginia to talk about how we can leverage our marriages to influence the next generation. In their conversation, Virginia opens up about how she and her husband personally have used their marriage to influence the next generation that's closest to their hearts, their two sons. Now, without further ado, let's jump into Ted's interview with Virginia. Virginia, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. I'm so excited. We've got to, uh, we're talking about a little bit earlier, got to hang out on an orange tour, mm-hmm. and I've gotten to uh, hear you speak and give your heart and your uh, your passion for the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I found out that we had the opportunity to maybe snag you here at the conference mm-hmm. for a few minutes, I was very excited about that. So thank you very much. You're welcome. It's glad to be um, here. Give us a little bit uh, of your background and your ministry and your family. Just Introduce yourself to us. Okay. To our listeners. Okay. So I am the wife of one husband. And so (laughs) I, Virginia, I am actually the oldest twin daughter. I have a twin sister. We're five minutes apart. I am a native Bostonian. If you haven't picked that up by now, I do park my car and have it yet. Uh, So you'll have fun with my accent there. Um, But I do have a twin sister, younger sister, and a brother. So there's four of us. And again, wife of one husband. We've been married now, thir- going on 34 years. You go. That's Have awesome. two adult sons. One is married. One just moved to L.A. to pursue his music career. Very active in ministry. So associate pastor at the church. Have been next-gen pastor for a while. Also elder over worship and women's ministry. So, you know, doing a couple of things there. Then full-time job. I do work a full-time job because I just like things to do. Um, but no, I do like to put my gifts to use. I'm like, what would I be home doing? Twiddling my thumbs. So I'm assistant dean at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary at the Boston campus, and I teach classes in youth ministry and leadership. So my heart is really urban youth leaders, but leadership in general, helping people to lead themselves first, and then for those that can lead on different levels, helping them to learn and grow in their leadership capacity. Virginia, I've heard you speak a couple of times, and I remember one of the things that stands out, you said that you work with two very different kind of demographics, like Mm -hmm. your world is. Talk a little bit about that. So I'm working a lot with parents and families in their urban environment. And by urban, I don't mean just inner city, but city. Some that are middle class or upper class as well that have, you know, pretty good 
pennies in their pockets, as it were. But then also a lot of families from ethnic communities that where English might not be their first language, where they're adjusting, they're really making their way up from the blue collar realm, as it were, and financially they struggle a lot. Some that may have a high school education, some that have gone on from high school into college. So work with uh, demographics of families from single parents to two-parent homes, but just all across the board. Some in our community adoptions, I use that word a little loosely, not necessarily the legal adoptions. It's grandma or auntie, there's a child in the family and, or grandma and auntie takes that child in. And that may or may not be the legal paperwork per se, but uh, the child is engrafted into a family to make sure that they grow and they have a place to stay. Talk a little bit about the city when you say how we work with, you know, people that are struggling financially to those who are doing really well, but the city is the common denominator. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about your heart for the city and mm -hmm. what makes that different from maybe the suburbs. Right, right. So for me, I've grew up in the city, lived in the suburbs for a while, went to high school in the suburbs. I went, oh, you Where'd guys. Where'd you grow up? Really, uh, in Boston, mm -hmm. right in the Boston area, uh, in the heart of the city, love it. Then we moved to a suburb south of Boston. And then when I got married, I'm like, no, we got to go back to the city. I love the city, the systems in the city. Uh, it's constantly moving. It's a faster pace. There are challenges, not just economically, but politically. You, you really need to know what's happening. The pulse of your city is a little different as well, and every city is different. But for Boston, we are ruled by um, the academy, as it were. We're ruled by knowledge. Okay. So we don't just feel God. We know God. <laughs> we like to know that everyone comes there. It's the mecca of education. Mm. So it's kind of an oxymoron that we are the mecca of education, but yet we have a number of families who are not educated. Parents who may or may not have a high school diploma uh, or some college, but they end up working jobs that keep them in a financial bracket that's tougher from others. So we've been intentional in our church to even as leaders to model that, that when my husband and I first started pastoring, neither one of us had a, an undergrad degree, but we both finished, went and finished school, got our undergrad degree. And as mm. we did that, we saw others in our congregation start to do the That's same. Amazing. Then we moved on to get master's degrees. And then we saw others in our congregation do the same. We went from renters to homeowners and we saw other families, single parents, as well as two parent homes, going from being renters to being homeowners. As we increased and lifted our leadership lid, then we saw the same flow down to the families of our congregation. That is amazing. So you guys are modeling this. You're talking mm -hmm. about it, I guess, on Sunday morning and talking yes. about it in groups. When you talk about going into the city, mm -hmm. what does that look like for you, mm -hmm. like for you and your church and mm -hmm. just your passion? Mm -hmm. Well, for us, since we live in the city, we minister in the city, I work in the city. So my three pillars are all in the city. And so same for my husband. We live in the city. He ministers in the city. We work in the city. So for us, it's being connected to knowing who our mayor is, knowing our city councilors. So it's not just the church community of the city, but being connected to the social organizations, the political organizations, the school systems. We know the superintendent. We know people on the school committee. We're actively engaged. I actually serve as a mentor in the city of Cambridge for a girls program that was started by a former mayor, was a female mayor, and she started a program for eighth grade girls to help them transition into high school. So I'm one of the pastors that sits on that team of mentors so that I can be a role model for 
especially students of color, uh, but also for eighth grade girls to see that you can be from a faith background, you can be a pastor. And this is what it looks like to kind of debunk some of the myths of what sure. it looks like to be in ministry, but that they can also see it from a female perspective. And then to see that God does care about your life, even in the eighth grade, as you transition from eighth grade to high school. Okay. So this is a marriage podcast, but I'm going to take a little side note mm-hmm. here as, <laughs> as a dad of a 12 year old daughter yes. who I'm wanting um, to know that she can do anything that God wants yes. her to be. So you're in your community and mm-hmm. you're in your city saying, hey, not just here's what you could do. This is what we did. Yes. I mean, I love your story that mm-hmm. where you started and you've moved uh, in that direction. Um, what would you say to my 12-year-old daughter who maybe thinks, hey, you know, and she certainly hasn't gotten it from me or her mother, I can <laughs> promise you, but maybe says, no, guys can do more. What Mm -hmm. would you say to her? Mm -hmm. I would say to her to keep dreaming, keep her eyes open, store everything. It's like when you play video games, you pick up things and you don't know when you're going to need it. So I would say to her, try things, pick up things, store it in your bag because you don't know when you're going to need it. And we as females are famous for what's in our purse. In fact, when you go to different bridal showers and things like that, (laughs) baby showers, they play the game, what's in your purse and you can win prizes based on what's in there. I would say to her, pick up as much stuff as you can, Mm. store it away. Take those experiences, whether it's on the sports team, play an instrument, you know, go and and explore a missions trip, even just pay attention when you're walking through the mall, try new hairdos and clothing, try new things. Don't be afraid to experiment and try and keep track of what you like and what you don't like. Because that begins to inform her of who she is becoming. Because at 12, she's still becoming. That's not who she is yet, but she's becoming. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about you know, working in the city mm-hmm. and you've obviously, again, working with so many different um, types of families mm-hmm. to talk a little bit about how you've seen marriage or mm-hmm. lack thereof. How is it, how does it impact kids? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Marriage. Um, we have a spectrum of marriages in our church. We have the young married, so people who, you know, love and love in marriage, wonderful at 20-something, who have no clue. But they're learning, <laughs> right, right, right? They, they got married. They're following the traditional mm. track. Then we have people who waited a little later for whatever reason in their 30s, 40s, getting married for the first time. And we're watching them who they developed fully who they were as far as an adult. So when you're 30, 40, you marry, it's different from when you're in your early 20s marrying. So my husband and I married at 22. So we grew together. And so we got a chance to see the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then grow through that. Versus some of our married couples who, when they marry in their late 30s or 40s, and they're established, and they're going, why do you have to do that? And they keep asking, Mm. it's like, but that's who they are. And so they tend to face issues and maybe have a little less tolerance than those who kind of grew together. And, Mm. oh, yeah, he hangs his clothes on the door. Oh, well. Yeah, she's not the greatest cook, but I've learned to live with it. We just eat out twice a week, you know, whatever. They can make the adjustments. Mm. But now I'm also seeing some, some changes in marriages where everyone is a little more self-centered, meaning it's about my happiness. They're not looking at it, it's about our happiness, but the messages that are being told out there, be happy, it's about you. You know, you get what you need in the marriage. Mm. And if they can't help you and satisfy you, then why are you there? Mm. And the outdoor, and I, I say to a lot of couples, take that divorce card off the table. 100%. 
That should not be on the cut. You stood in front of Jesus and all these witnesses and said, till death us do part. Mm. Jesus took you seriously. Mm. And so did we. We spent money, bought a dress, got our hair done, did our nails, all that wonderful stuff. We agreed with you. Mm. So now you've got to take that divorce card off the table. And once... In, in talking with couples, and if you can get them to take that card off the table, mm. then they seem to be more willing to put the selfish stuff aside mm. to work towards the we, especially if there are children involved. Mm. And they're willing to work towards the we of not just saying, I'll tolerate this person, but let me really understand what it means to love you. Wow. Why do you think, Virginia, that there's so many people who have the divorce card on the table? Because it's it seems like it's an easy way out. And it's easy for us to walk away or even run away versus change. Hmm. Because the divorce card on the table says, I don't have to change. Hmm. But when you take that off the table, it's no longer just the other person. You have to also change. And sometimes, isn't sometimes, all the time, this inner work that we have to, to be married for a long time, 33, 34 years now, mm-hmm. there's a lot of inner work that God had to do in me. And he used my husband to do it. And yeah. he, especially with disciplining children, my husband would turn to me and say, how do you like dealing with yourself? Mm-hmm. And I carry that phrase with me because I discovered through the years of marriage, it was really all about dealing with myself. Mm. Those deep places that we don't like to go, the painful places, the truths about ourselves that we don't necessarily want to address that that other person brings out in us. Is that the truth? Mm-hmm. So I, f- I find it kind of ironic these days, you know, especially, you know, people are more educated than ever. Yes. Yeah, it feels like relationally people mm-hmm. have become less intelligent or mm-hmm. less willing to mm-hmm. to flex because they are so smart, quote yes. unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see that yes. with people? Definitely, definitely. And we can rationalize everything, but as we know in relationships, there is no ration. I mean, how do you rationalize that? Where's the right. rationale for that? There, there really isn't any. And our brains don't want to accept that. Mm. So it forces us to really have to be in that place of love mm. and to really go to, as Jesus talked about, the three levels of love. First, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Now love each other like I have loved you. Oh my goodness. Mm. To bring that into a marriage, to love that other person how Jesus loves us. Yeah. That is, it's beyond unconditional. Mm. How to describe that, that's painful. That sometimes being hurt, as the psalmist says, you swear to your own hurt, but you Mm. don't change. So you know that, okay, I may expect my spouse to do this for me and they're not going to do it again. Mm. It's like a simple example for me. I travel a lot. And so when I get home, I like my husband to be at the airport. You know what time the plane is landing. Now you can track the plane and follow the plane. And it used to just unnerve me if he wasn't there when I landed. I don't like checking luggage. So I generally have a carry on. So I get off the plane. I text you when I'm landed. Why aren't you there? And I used to just be heated when he wasn't there. (laughs) And I finally had to get over and go, traffic? Sometimes, especially the late night planes, they get in earlier. Mm. Give the brother a break. (laughs) And so when I finally let that go, and he would Mm. rush to the airport, you know, I'm standing there and he's rushing and he's hopping out the car to get my bag and he's looking at me like, are you okay? And I'm like, hi, honey. And I'm giving him a kiss. He's like, where's that woman I married? This is not you. Oh, where is she? What did you do with her? (laughs) You're about to break some bad news, Virginia. Like, what's going on here? What did you do with my wife? And I'm like, no, honey, it's okay. I I just had to let that. I had to Mm. love him how Christ loves me. 
He's, I'm not always on time for him. I don't always do the stuff I'm supposed to do. So why do I have this unrealistic expectation mm. and not willing to give any grace or love in that area? Mm. So I had to learn, and now I'm okay. I'm a lot better. <laughs> You're a lot better. But that is so practical. One of the things we talk about on the podcast, we want to make marriage real fun mm. and simple. Mm. So that is such a perfect example because, mm-hmm. you know, we think people think that, you know, marriage is about the big grand gestures, Valentine's Day, mm. you know, vacations, all, but it's these little moments. Yes. It's just these little moments. It just matters so much. Yes. You know, living in a, you know, a post-Christian mm. era right now, mm-hmm. uh, I know a lot of times Christianity is associated with, you know, you've got to check out your intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I've heard Andy Stanley say before, no, no, you need to check it in. Because once you check it in, never will your faith grow more. Mm. How do we, because I feel like God's way for marriage, when Jesus talks about it, it's radical. And someone even say old school. Yes. How do we talk to uh, a very educated, maybe post-Christian group of people mm-hmm. about here's, you know, God's way for marriage. How does mm-hmm. that work? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we have to go back to square one, which is Adam and Eve. We have to go literally back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. God made man. He made woman. He made man and woman so that the man would not be alone, but he also made them so that they could be fruitful and multiply. So there's purpose in that. And the multiply, the fruitful isn't just having children. It's for what purpose did he join you with that spouse? There's something together that we can do, John 17, that we would be one. There's something that we can do together as a married couple that we can't do apart mm. from each other. And when those Say two that purposes, one more time, Gina. I don't want people to, that's powerful. There's something that we're called to do together. It's like orange, red and yellow. The two influences, the church and the family come together. It's a mm. more powerful influence. There are two purposes God has joined together. Mm. When I met my husband, I heard a teaching. I think it was by, I think it was Charles Stanley. I think it was Andy mm. Stanley's dad. So <laughs> dating myself a little bit, but he talked about how when a woman sees a man, she sees his purpose She sees his potential and what God is calling him to. And that if she can see alignment with that, then even though he might be rough around the edges and still, you know, need some work, she grows together with him. But she also recognizes her purpose Mm -hmm. in helping that purpose, not just his purpose, but that greater purpose be accomplished. So when the two come together, with children, without children, there's something they're supposed to do. So my husband and I together, we are wards of wisdom. And we actually started a a profit consulting business uh, called Wards of Wisdom, because that's who we are. When we come together, his number one spiritual gift is wisdom, so is mine. When we came together, it's like, oh, double wisdom. We gotta do, we have to share this with people. So I, I encourage couples to figure out who is he, Who is she? Mm. And then put it together and say, who are we together? Mm. And what is it that God is asking us to do in this earth? Because there's a purpose why you're together. Mm. Virginia, you bring so much and are so active and do so many things with so many different uh, people. How how has your husband, how has he made you even better? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. how would you say that? Because, I mean, I think anybody looks at your resume and is like, wow. Mm. Um, And he's obviously championed you Mm -hmm. all these years as well. Mm -hmm. How has he... Talk to me a little bit. How has he made you better and how have you made him better? Mm. I would not be the woman I am today without him. When we met each other, I was a mouthy, not saying I'm not still mouthy, but less mouthy, (laughs) uh, mouthy, insecure, 
female. I came from, although my parents, my dad is a pastor and third generation PK, my parents divorced in my teen years. Mm. And so, and I was one of those rebellious kids. I know it all. Mm. I'm going to do it my way. (laughs) You know, Frank Sinatra the whole way through. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I met him, he would ask me questions that made me think. He's the more of the introverted thinker. I'm the extroverted processor. So when we came together, the union was really cool. He makes me think and process and question and, and to figure out um, I'm strategic. He is the, the broad range planner, but I'm strategic. I'm going to ask, why are we doing this? Da, da, da. So together, we, when we're together, it's, it, the teamwork, the synergy is amazing. He has helped me to really question and to process things a lot better versus just shooting off at the hip. Hmm. I have helped him in that he'll think and process and process and think and process. I'm like, okay, dude, let's move. We gotta so, pull the trigger. Right, 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 right. So we're both, hmm. that balance is sweet because he'll say, hmm. uh, slow down. And I'll say, come on, let's, let's go. And now we know to check in with each other and hmm. say, okay, where are we at? Um, but that grew over time. Hmm. So he has really helped me to, to stabilize and to be a lot more focused. And I think I've helped him in the, um, the let's just be bold, let's just go for it. Because again, New Englanders, we're thinking, we're processing, we know, we know, we know. <laughs> but it's like, okay, let's make this thing happen. Mm. So the balance has been really good. And when we come together, people are like, they say to him, where did you find her? Because <laughs> we're like bookends. So for those mm. of you married couples who are like bookends and you're just mm. like totally opposite, it can work. Mm. But you do, again, have to have the purpose and the goal in mind. And you also have to be willing to submit one to another, as we're called to. I know we hear the passage about just the wives submitting, but keep reading, y'all. We're both supposed yep. to submit one to another. Yep. And one of the best definitions I've heard of submission was from a, a pastor in California. And he said, wives, this is what I want to tell you about the word submission. He said, move out the way so God can get a clear shot at him. <laughs> and I was like, yes. That's the best thing I've yes. ever heard. I love that. So with my kids, I submit. Times uh, I want them to do something, uh, even as adults, I just uh, step aside and God, you get them. And I just pray, Lord, you, I, I'm going to mm. take my hands off of it and I'm going to take my mouth off of it. That's strong. So God can do what he needs to do. Mm. Gosh, is that my senior? I've got a senior right now, and I have, I've literally feel like there's just a few times in my life where I feel like God's whispered to me, mm-hmm. uh, but I've, I've been with him before, and he's like, the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit, Ted. Let, mm-hmm. He's 18 years old. Just yes. let him, God, take out. What did you say? The, a shot at I him. Just take a, <laughs> a clear shot of him. Like so, Virginia, you mentioned that you grew up uh, in a broken home. Mm-hmm. Um, Talk a little bit about family of origin and maybe your husband's a little bit there and how those two worlds collide and how did, how did that work? Mm-hmm. Great question. So my husband grew up in a two-parent home. He always had the image of a father present. He has two sisters and they understand what the importance of a father and the blessing of a father. Now, I grew up, my dad was there for part of the time, but in the middle school time, my parents divorced. And so it was just my mom raising four children by herself at that time. And so, and we didn't really see our father much. So you all may be familiar with the song, um, he's, you're a good, good father. It's who Mm -hmm. you are, who you are. And, um, as well as the other song by Israel Houghton, I Am Not Forgotten. When that song first came out, my husband was like, I don't get that song. And I'm like, I get it. As a child of divorced parents, I often felt forgotten. Mm. 
Mm. I often felt like my father wasn't there. And that did play into initially my relationship with, with God because it was like, you God's a father? It's, oh, he's going to be like my father. He'll be there mm. sometimes and then disappear. And so, where my, my husband always had a great relationship with his dad, even his grandfather. I didn't know my grandparents on either side. I only know them from photographs. And so having that male image in my life, I knew it from uncles and cousins, but not from the sense of a father, that intimate space. So when my, my husband would say, I don't get that song. I'm like, I get that song because I'm not forgotten. And it's important to know that he's a good father. And so in our marriage, when we first came together, it was difficult at first for me to receive instruction from a man. I'm like, who are you? You're not my father. Mm. And so I had to check that. And I should say he checked that a couple of times and said, OK, you need to make a decision because how you grew up in your home is not how we're going to have our home. We're going to agree on a structure of our home. But let's be very clear. There is a man in this house. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving you. Mm. I'm going to take you in all your drama. I'm going to take you with all your stuff. And he really mm. modeled for me what unconditional love looked like. Mm. And then he even had to separate and say, I'm your husband and not your father. Mm. I know you didn't have your daddy during your important junior high and high school years and in the time when we got married, but you have other father figures around. Why don't you adopt one? Mm. Because I can't be your husband and your father. Mm. And that was a real eye-opening lesson for me. Mm. And it sent me on a journey to discover and to address those issues because it did affect my intimacy with God. Mm. And then when I started addressing that, um, the, the lack of not having the father's blessing, and then I was actually blessed by a father figure. And it just opened me up mm. to a whole new world. And then my dad, I was reacquainted with my dad after my mother passed away. And he, I remember the first time he bought me gas. I went to go visit him and mm. I was filling up before he lived like 45 minutes from my house. And we got to the gas station. He said, I'm going to buy gas for you. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. He goes, no, I want to. I'm your father. Mm. I'm a grown woman and tears are coming down sure. my eyes because it's mm. like, wow, this is what a father does. So I say that because a number of the youth that we minister to especially now 70% of homes in the urban environment are single parent homes. 70%. 70%. Is that true across the board? Or it's across, it's a national statistic. 70%. 70% single parent homes. And the, the statistics are even growing in rural and suburban neighborhoods as well. So it's not just becoming sure. an urban statistic. So you, uh, when it comes to Mother's Day, we have great Mother's Days in our church. Father's mm. Day, mm. it's rough. Hmm. One year, some kids in our youth group actually gave their gift to my husband from the pulpit. And he, he said, you're my father now because hmm. I don't have a relationship with my father. So Father's Day is, I mean, even if you go to the store, you don't, the card section, you know, hmm. like three times for Mother's Day and is one quarter of the section for Father's Day. So that's, it's a real issue that we have to address. So do you find that the people you're working with that are coming from single parent homes, have they checked out the idea of marriage? Do they still want to be married? Mm -hmm. what's, what's their normal? Many still want to be married, but they want a healthy marriage. Mm -hmm. They want a man who, I mean, just the basics, understands that mm -hmm. Miles Monroe, uh, the late Miles Monroe, talks about uh, the type of man a woman should have. So you should mm -hmm. follow the, the train of Adam. He, was, he had a place to live. He had a job. He had a responsibility. <laughs> it, 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 it's like, and that's a good man. So when it says mm -hmm. a man finds a wife, that's a man. 
man. If he doesn't have a job and he doesn't have a place to stay other than his mother's house, he's not a man. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not mm -hmm. male bashing here. Yeah. Um, but just to say that there, the, a lot of the people who are single moms, and I know some single dads as well, so I'm not knocking single dads. There are some out there as well. They do still want to be married. They do believe in the institution of marriage. However, um, they're clear that they don't want a space of abuse. Mm -hmm. They don't want a space where they have to be mother, father. There's a male figure in the house because there are some, also some houses where we do have male figures in the house, but they're absent mm -hmm. as far as they're not fully present in the discipline of the children, especially the discipline. And I'm seeing mm. that a lot as well, where the moms are becoming the matriarch is the disciplinarian in the home. Mm. And the father's like, oh, whatever she says. And it's like, no, dude, especially with the son, you need to check that. That mm. child is under five. If you don't address that, you're going to be in trouble at eight. Before mm. we could say 12, 13. But now it's before they're 10. We're seeing major disciplinarian issues and that are playing out in school. Hmm. Where the mom has had to be both mom and dad. So she's yes. had to harden. She's, you mm -hmm. know, that's kind of, is that, it seems like that would be difficult for moms to say, you know, because my wife can be so nurturing. I mm -hmm. mean, like she's just got to, I say moms have a gears that dad don't have. Right, right. Um, does this role keep her from being able to have that gear a little bit? Well, I, they have to pick up both. So I have watched some single moms in our congregation that have done an amazing job. They know how to love and nurture, but they can put down their foot as well, and they can be that disciplinarian. Sure. But the balance of the two, sometimes it's like, okay, but the danger that, especially if they're raising sons, and that's a hot for me because I have two sons, that I've watched some mothers where they're so much of a disciplinarian, they sometimes can move into that hard space mm. where they lose the nurture. Then I have others that are so busy nurturing there's little to no discipline there. Mm -hmm. So it's knowing the balance. And then as they get older, you don't want them to move from being a son to a husband. Because mm -hmm. I've had some parents where I've had to say, that's not your husband. You can't put your son out. Now, if that was your husband, you could put him out. But that's your son. The IRS is calling for you because you're required to take care of that child and provide mm -hmm. food, shelter, and clothing. Now, when he's 18, that's a whole nother can of worms. But if he's 12 and acting up, there are ways of addressing that. Mm -hmm. But you can't say, I'm putting you out. That's what you do. So sometimes clarifying for the mother that the relationship is still that of a child mm. and not of your spouse. Does this communicate, do you think, Virginia, like that kids need a mom and a dad? Kids need a mom and a dad. We all do. Every mm. child should have a mother and a father. Mm. I know it's old school. I know it's traditional. It's Bible. But I think every child, because the, each parent brings out something different in that child. Mm. So how do you champion in a community where 70% of kids are born to one parent? How do you champion mm -hmm. marriage? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because millennials, they still have a hope for it. You yes. know, they still want to be great parents. Mm -hmm. they, they still want to have a great marriage. How do you guys do that? Because I think the thing, you know, living in the world we live in here at Orange and mm -hmm. we're trying to help churches right. to help families. I know one of the biggest fears of Orange is we never want to alienate mm. single moms and single dads. And yes our grandmas who are taking care of kids or whatever the situation is. Right. We want to be really careful to do that. But I think sometimes we're doing them a, a disservice because single parents still have to talk to their kids mm -hmm. about marriage. Mm -hmm. How do we champion marriage um, 
without alienating people? Mm -hmm. So that's a great question. We're being very intentional about still championing marriage as well as keeping in mind that the majority of our people are single because we don't want to demonize one or the other and neither do we want to say, here's utopia, you must reach here (laughs) and if you haven't reached here, you have failed. Mm -hmm. So what we help people to understand, this is, God's plan is twofold. This is what marriage looks like. This is what singlehood looks like. We celebrate singleness. We celebrate marriage. We're being more intentional about using examples from both. Mm. Where before we would only talk about married people, family, home, mom, dad, sister, brother. And we didn't necessarily talk as much about the singleness mm. and being sacredly single. And what does that look like? Mm. And how um, you have more time actually to do ministry. It shouldn't be the mm. married folks doing ministry and you get to chill and go to the movies and do whatever you want to do. Mm. So we're doing being intentional about celebrating both and saying... Here is God's, what God's marriage looks like. This is what it should look like. Here are the mm. elements of it, of loving together, growing together, discovering purpose together. And even in those marriages, not just focusing on you must have children. Because mm. there are some married couples that either don't want to have children or can't for whatever sure. reason. So we also don't want to demonize those marriages. But we're being clear of God there's, does have a design for marriage. Mm. And if you are going to enter that covenant with another person before God, this is what it should look like. So we're being intentional about it and also saying, and if you're single, God has a plan for you as well as single. And this is what this should look like. And if you're single and raising children, whether you were married previously and divorced or not, you just have children, um, out, I should say outside of marriage, but you have children and you were never married. This is what parenting looks like. All of those are good. And God has a plan for each of those categories. I love that. I love that. So, Virginia, we always say on this podcast, we want to leave people with one simple thing that Mm -hmm. they can go and do. Mm -hmm. Um, What is something just in terms of marriage, if you're speaking to a a married couple, Mm -hmm. um, what would you say has been one of the keys in in your relationship with your Mm -hmm. husband that you say, hey, whether you're, you know, you have all the money, you have, you have no money, regardless, what is, what do you think one of God's principles has been for you guys that you say, man, if I could magically insert this one thing into Mm -hmm. every married couple that I know, what would it be? I would say two words, grow together. Hmm. So for us, as I look back over, over our journey over these past 34 years, we grew, but we grew together. Hmm. So you can grow, but if you're growing apart from each other, so we grew academically in our educations. We grew together that way. We grew together spiritually. We Mm. grew together financially. We grew together in our parenting. Mm. So we were intentional about all of the spheres, even with taking care of sick parents. Both of our mothers have passed away. Both of our um, siblings, our sisters, had cancer at the same time. So Mm. we both of us walked through. My twin sister had cancer. His younger sister, his oldest, not oldest, but his middle sister had cancer. So he walked his sister through. They were both, we both sometimes showed up at the same appointments, uh, just at the same oncologist, but the appointments were maybe an hour apart or something like that. So we've walked through life changes together. And in doing so, we processed together and we understood, we laughed together, we cried together. And so now, we're both empty nesters. We're not looking at each other going, who are you? Mm. We know each other. And now we're excited and preparing for the next season. If we're going to remodel the house now that they're yeah. gone, <laughs> we're the people in the Staples commercial like, yeah. yes, I'm getting my room, <laughs> traveling. Yeah. And we have fun mm. because we grew together. So that to me, that's 
money, no money. That's one car, no car. That's sick. That's operations. We both had minor operations. I mean, mm. you name it. We've been through. So transitioned where he transitioned to be pastor. Now we're looking to transition to not be the senior people, mm. but we're doing it together and we're processing all of those. What does the next phase look like? And I think if you do that together, that's a blessing. Yeah. And even if you're going in two different directions or you've got maybe one stays home and the other one mm-hmm. works. Talk mm-hmm. to that. How did they grow together mm-hmm. when they're living in two different worlds? Yes. So for a season, initially when I first had our oldest son, I was going to be that. I'm going to work. I'm going back to work. I'm going to be the working woman. I went back to work for a little bit. My mother-in-law was keeping our oldest son and she would call me and give me updates. And she called me one day and she said, Paul is trying to talk. And And I wept and I called my husband and I said, honey, I know I've been this working woman with you. We have this dream. We want to buy this house, 2.5 cars, you know, (laughs) we want to do all of that kind of wonderful stuff, travel the world. But would you mind if I stayed home? And he said, you can do it. But it means we drive one car. We delay the house for a little bit so we can get the house we want. Um, you'll, I sewed, so he said, you'll make clothes for the kids. We just won't eat out as much, but we can do it. So I stayed home for the about four or five years, Mm. and I have no regrets. Mm. So when I was home, he was intentional about making sure I had me time. Mm. So one night a week, he would let me go out with my friends, or generally just go to the mall and hang out and have fun, Um, eat fudge and drink raspberry lime rickies and talk about people (laughs) in the mall. (laughs) That was my favorite thing to do. Um, Or go to the movies or go bowling. Mm. But he was intentional about being connected with my world. Mm. I was um, intentional about being connected with his world at work Mm. at, at first. When I was home, I got very comfortable. So I didn't do the hair. I was in sweats and I was chilling. And he came home from work one day and he's walking around like, where are you today? I'm like, oh, we went to the zoo. Da, 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 da. He's like, okay, no dinner's cooked, nothing. And he said, okay, so let's have this conversation. I'm in this world. I'm at work all day and I'm seeing beautiful women. I come home, you're in sweatshirts and you've been to the zoo. Smell like animals. Yes. (laughs) So I need you to understand my world as I'm understanding your world. And so we had a compromise there. So he, I made sure that sometimes I got dressed right before he got home. (laughs) Sometimes I did the hair and made sure everything was straight right before he got home. And he would come home and sometimes I didn't have to cook. He came home with takeout. So we compromised mm. to make sure that we understood each other's worlds and we were intentional about that. Mm. That's the way you guys grew together. Mm-hmm. Virginia, this was, I knew this would be great. I knew that it was. When I saw you on the website, I was going, if she'll say yes, this is going to be great. And of course, I was right, which doesn't happen a lot, but I knew I was going to be right on this one. So thank you very, very much. And uh, we'll let people know how they can find you um, mm-hmm. in our show notes and different things. So thanks again. Great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Married People Podcast. We hope that today's episode helped you realize that marriage is a little easier than you think. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we would love for you to subscribe to the podcast through your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a review. Your review will help us make this podcast better and help us get these conversations in front of more married couples who need to hear them. And speaking of married couples, if another couple came to mind as you were listening to this episode, consider sharing this episode with them. And the easiest way to do that is to send them to our website, marriedpeople.org slash podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.